And a very warm welcome to God Botherers with me, Rob Bethel, the layman. And me, the Reverend Martin Little. This is a podcast for those of you who are a little bit curious about this thing called Christianity. What do Christians believe? What do Christians do? And most importantly, to be a Christian, do I have to believe in a bearded sky god? No, no you don't. So join us as we openly explore Christian ideas about life whilst hopefully having a laugh along the way. Hello Martin. Hello Rob. How are you? I'm okay. I'm eating a mint. I don't know whether that is audible, but it's uh, you know, if if mint if minty freshness were audible, I'm feeling minty fresh. But I don't know whether our listeners can uh, can pick that up. I'm not sure that's a good idea. That might sound pretty gross. <laughs> okay, I tell you what, I'll swallow the mint and then we'll keep going. <laughs> The, the the mint is gone, Rob. Um, I'm fine, Rob. H- how are you, brother? Yeah, I'm good. So you've you've got a mint. I've <laughs> I decided to get a Christian themed ale. Oh my goodness! Yes, I have got. You may have heard it before. Bishop's finger. Bishop's finger. Have you tried that? I've had Bishop's finger. Yes, that sounds really bad, doesn't it? But yes, I have had Bishop's finger. Now, I apologise to the listeners and to your good self, Martin, but last Lent, I actually dramatically reduced my alcohol intake. Oh, wow. Um, So I don't drink that much anymore. And I've just realised that this is a strong ale. It actually says that. 6.7% or something, I think. Something like that, isn't it? (laughs) So it says it's called Bishop's Finger from the ancient signpost pointing pilgrims to the shrine of Thomas a Becket at Canterbury Cathedral. Very good. You know, I never knew that. Always wondered why it was called Bishop's Finger. You just thought it was a slightly rude-sounding name, didn't you? Well, it does sound rude, don't you think? Yeah, well, uh, rapidly changing the subject, um, it's quite nice, Bishop's Finger, but the <laughs> I'll tell you my Thomas a Becket fact, if you like. Yeah, yeah. So, um... Uh, Thomas a Becket was uh, assassinated, right? He was. Quite brutally. Yeah. And uh, one of the guys that killed him, to try and curry favour with the king, one of the guys that killed him um, had, a, had a moment of remorse. And he built a church. Mm. And it's not, not far from where I live. So it's just the other side. Of, well, not far from where you live either. So just the other side of Weston, just at Sands Bay, there's a priory, Woodspring Priory, and the guy that built that was one of Thomas a Becket's assassinators, or whatever right. they assassins, that's right, yeah. assassinators. Sounds like a funk <laughs> band, doesn't it? <laughs> the assassinators! Yeah! James yeah. Brown and the assassinators. Um, sorry, one of his assassins. Um, he felt so bad about what he'd done that he built this um, priory, and he instructed the, whoever it was that lived there, the monks there, to, to say prayers for the for the um for his soul for what he'd done and to have a special devotion to Tom Sebeke. Wow. So there you go, that's my that's my fact. How about that? I I'm gonna say a fact that's probably not a fact, but I don't think there was an A in his name. You know we say Thomas Sebeke. Yeah. I don't think there was an A. I think that was added. Oh right. Maybe some listeners can write in and Tell us whether that my fact I just plucked from the back of my head <laughs> has any 
truth to it at all. You think you think that the R was just a, a spurious addition? Yeah, I'm not too sure why I'm saying that, but um, I'm going to stick with it. Okay, dude. Well, you know, Google will maybe supply the answer. I, I yeah. love the fact that we're on our second episode of this podcast, and you think that we have listeners who write in. <laughs> well, <laughs> like I'll to- tell you what. I'll tell you what. We did have some lovely feedback from we our last podcast. We did. And um, I want to thank all all the thousands of people <laughs> that wrote in. No, it was only only a couple of people. So uh, thank you yeah. very much. You know who you are. And thanks for all the kind comments. So, yeah, we thought we'd do a second one. And we're going to try and do a monthly, aren't we, Martin? Yes, we are. That seems achievable. Yeah. Within current constraints. So, but yeah, no, I, I agree. I'm, we're really glad people liked it. And uh, we just, we'll, we'll try and stay on topic. Yeah. Although, having said that, I'm going to totally change topic. And I want to d- test something with you. I came up with a joke the other day. Like a Christian okay. joke, and I don't know if it's blasphemous or not. <laughs> Ooh, well we've we've gone we've gone straight from Bishop's finger to blasphemy, Rob. So let's. <laughs> it's let not the, this this episode's not boding well, is it? <laughs> okay, let's hear your joke, dude. Knock knock. Who's there? God. God who? God who made you in the universe? Jeez, let me in. I love it. Well, I don't think I did the delivery very well, but uh No, I liked it. I liked it. I felt I felt the sense of urgency. Um <laughs> it reminded me of um do you know Holman Hunt's Light of the World? Do you know that painting? No. Where G- Jesus is it's from Revelation, based on the Book of Revelation where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door to me, I will enter and sit down and eat with him. It's at the right at the end of the Bible. And Holman Hunt painted a picture of it's quite a famous one. We could discuss it one time. Yeah. Um, it's a, but it's about it's about letting letting Jesus in to your you know your heart to your soul or yeah it's it's an interesting painting actually yeah well it, it, didn't Jesus say something about oh, oh isn't it he who knocks oh I can't remember now yeah yeah so it's it's something um, about knocking on the door yeah knock on the door shall be opened and it's that him isn't it seek ye first the kingdom of God yeah yeah that's the one. Well, oh, but is it blasphemous? That's uh, what I need to know. I don't think so. I, th- I think our listeners know you're not God, Rob. I think they figured that out in episode one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry really? to have to break it to you, brother. But <laughs> So what are we talking about this week, Rob? Well, last week we were talking about faith. And then afterwards I thought, oh, it'd be really good if we talked about doubt mm. because dun 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 i've got a confession martin yeah hit me i'm a bad christian i have doubts what can i do does this mean i'm not a christian am i allowed to question what i'm <sighs> told in the church how dare you um yeah. <laughs> Of course you can, of course you, you're not a bad Christian for doubting. Um, I think we all do. We all, I mean, everything you've just said is thing, things I would say as well. Uh, it, it's a fascinating topic though. And I think it's something that 
often when we're trying to give a reason for what we believe or we're trying to um, explain what we believe or what we're passionate about, we often try to just be persuasive all the time. Mm. Whereas actually, I think the reality, the lived reality of being a Christian um, is that we experienced doubt. It's part of the package, I think. So I think it's good that you've raised it. And I think it's really good that we talk about it, honestly. Because mm. the last thing I would want to do in something like this, where we're trying to just talk about our own journey of faith and explore things, the last thing I would want to do is dress it up as something that it isn't. Mm. And say, everything is fine. I found Jesus, and now everything is cool. And I, all my dreams came true. <laughs> you know, it's it's not... Like, as I explained last week, I have had amazing, powerful experiences of God, and it has changed my life, mm. but it hasn't been plain sailing, and there have been doubts. So, yes, um, I, we, we have to almost, we almost have to embrace our doubts, I think, or we certainly have to own them. So, I think it's great that you've raised that. I think it's a good topic. So, Well, it, I'm, re- I'm genuinely glad you said that, because I wasn't 100% sure, and... Um, you mean you had some doubts, Rob, <laughs> about whether to raise the prospect of doubt? Ah, ah I, I did, I did, um, yeah. and I think it's because there some churches that I have been to expressing doubt uh, can be seen as a negative thing. I, yeah, I think. yeah. Um, so I'm a little bit. I was a little bit hesitant asking you. Oh man. Well, I, I, you know, appreciate your discretion, Rob. But I mean, yeah, I mean, it's certainly something we should probably talk about more in the church. And I think you're right that in some, uh, in some circles, in some contexts, you know, to be seen to be someone who who doubts is to be, you know, I suppose people might feel well, maybe your faith isn't very genuine. Then, if your faith is genuine. Uh, and if you're on the right road, you shouldn't experience doubts. Frankly, mm. I don't really buy that. I think I think it does genuinely go hand in hand. Um, and can I? I mean, I did I did a little bit of preparation for this. Yeah. <laughs> in that, I looked up a Bible verse here, um, which I've always really found comforting. Right. This is right right at the end of Matthew's Gospel, um, and there's a there's a part which is usually called the Great Commission. And and Jesus, um, this is after the resurrection, and Jesus says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And it's this great, um, you know, it's the big call to mission and the birth of the church and the sending out of the disciple. You're going to go and you're going to change the world and you're going to win it for Jesus, right? Mm. Um, but the bit right, listen to the bit right before that, right? It says, now the 11 disciples, right? Because one of them, Judas betrayed him, okay? Mm. So it says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Oh, really? Right? So these are the apostles, right? The great, mm. the greatest saints who've ever lived. The, you know, the great wow. founders of the church, Saint Peter, the first pope. You know, um, these guys they worshipped him, but some doubted. Which ones? We don't know. You know, <laughs> did they just not want to admit to? Or you know, but it, but it's right there, and I love that that yeah. at this this absolute manifesto sort of moment of the. You know, it's like the, it's like the big launch party for the mission of the church. There were some who were standing there before the risen Christ doubting. And, you know, it doesn't pass any comment on that. It just states it, which makes me think, well, that's probably just accurate. That is what we do. We're not simply 
uh, automatons that just mm. believe. Mm. We 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 some of the time we believe, some of the time we doubt. Our faith is mixed with doubt all the time, um, and and yet we keep going. And it, and my, the interesting question for me, and we can explore a bit about what we think doubts are and what doubt what particular doubts we have. But the interesting for me thing for me is that we keep going in spite of our doubts. So mm. yes, we have doubts, but we keep going. So yes, the disciples doubted, but they kept going and they kept following and they they saw amazing things. So um, so I'm kind of like I don't worry about talking about doubt because I you know I don't feel it's going to derail me entirely. It might do. But I, I don't fear that. So mm, I think mm. we can, I think based on, on what's described there in that little nugget from Matthew's gospel, it gives me hope that we can talk about this stuff and it won't completely um, mess things up for us faith-wise. Amazing. So that's my little homily. <laughs> I love it. I love that. Because it, there's lots of reasons to mm. doubt. We've got the problem of suffering. Why would a loving God allow horrible things to happen. Mm. We've got even doubting that someone's there due to the silence or supposed silence we experience when we pray, the accuracy and authority of the Bible and all the uh, reported miracles that are in there. I mean, we weren't there witnessing those things. Uh, Life after death, At, at the moment, since... The Enlightenment, science, is uh, the great thorn in the side, mm. supposedly. Yes. Well, do you, <laughs> I hope, do you want to answer all those things? Shall, yeah, shall I just provide the definitive answers to all of those and then we can just go home, Rob? <laughs> That'll be the end of no. the podcast, I mean, our job done. You, yes. Th- those, are, those are absolutely great examples. I mean, you know, this is, these are the big, the big, big things that we wrestle with. Um, I mean, maybe we could just take take one of those, you know. Um, the problem of suffering feels like it needs a whole week on its own. But, yeah. but, you know, maybe the doubt that maybe we should just start with, you know, that's the, the doubt that God is even there at all, all right? Mm. Maybe that's a good place to start because I know that sometimes when I sit down to pray, I sometimes think to myself, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> You know, what, yeah. who are you talking to? Who do you think it is that's listening to you? What evidence have you got for um, for there being the, that God is even, you know, a thing or a, not a thing, but that God exists, right? Mm. So, so I mean, that that's the, it, funnily enough for me, it's the, probably the biggest doubt that I live with. Um, I find it easier to believe God loves me than to believe God exists. Right, right, right. <laughs> In a weird way, you know? Because I think, because I think the, our experience is we get glimpses of God's presence, and we and it's it's um, sometimes. I mean, I described some quite, I suppose, direct experiences of God last time we were talking. Big life changing things, the sense of God speaking to me, and that sort of stuff. But a lot of the way we experience God is quite indirect. I think. Mm. Yes. Yeah, so from our. Last episode, I I think what we need to drill down on is what we're talking about in terms of faith is what, because you've got to have faith in something, haven't you? And I guess we're talking about a faith in God, that there is a God. Yeah, Yeah. and I think that's a faith in God as as someone who's a person, actually. And again, this is something that, that atheists will have an absolute field day with. Um... 
And uh, and yes, you're right. As you put in our little intro to the podcast, no, we don't have to believe in a bearded sky god, mm. but neither do we believe in a kind of you know abstract idea, yeah, um, or a sort of amorphous you know concept or or a sort of blind force. I think God is personal, and I think we should make no apologies for that. So anyway, um, but the but that's where the doubt thing comes in, and and I was reminded of something that N. T. Wright said, and he's a sort of New Testament scholar who's who's written at all very academic levels, but also at quite popular level too. He's a great person yeah, to read. Yeah. Um, he he says um, now I'll try and get the quote right. It might be slightly misquoted, but he says um, I know that there's a God. In the same way, I know my wife loves me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I might be slightly misquoting him, but that's the comparison, right? Now, how do you know that someone loves you? What evidence is there for that? How can you test that? Um, I think it's an act of faith. Yeah. And when t- I mean, I when in my job, one of the things I get to do is to marry people, which is fab, right? Mm. So I get to stand in, in church with two people who are committing their lives to one another, and it's an awesome moment. But it's a profound act of faith because one person is saying to them, I believe that you love me, and I believe that I love you, and we're going to go the distance yeah. our whole lives until one of us dies, or both we, or, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to put our faith in the fact that we love each other. Mm. And you could say to them, well, how do you know? Where's the evidence? Show me, show me, show me. And and they'd probably say, well, we don't know. We just we just feel it and we experience it and we've tested it through living it together and we think that it's worth taking a punt on. Mm. And that's not so very different from faith. But at the same time, as we know, in all relationships, there are problems and there are conflicts and there are times when you don't believe that the other person loves you. Mm. And there are times when you don't really believe that you love them and you doubt it and you question it, right? But something makes you keep going. Most obviously, some relationships do fail, and that's, that's sad, and that's a fact as well. But, um, but that doesn't change the fact that a lot of relationships do continue. Mm. So, so, sorry, to, to wind up this thought, the question of how do we know that God is there or how can we have faith? Well, it's a bit like how do we know that someone loves us and we love them? It's a good analogy, I think, for what faith actually feels like. And there's a place for doubt within that. It's not about certainty. Relationships mm. aren't about coercing another person, right? Or or forcing them, you know. It's about, have you ever seen Bruce Almighty? You ever seen that movie with Jim Carrey? No, I don't think I... Oh, maybe a long time ago. That's an old film now, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. It's sort of 90s, I think. But it's it's got some great moments in it. There's a bit where he basically, he, the premise of the film is that he gets given God's powers for a day yes. to sort his life out. And uh, and he tries to get his girlfriend back by by pointing at her and going, love me. <laughs> and he tries to use sort of like sheer power, right? The power of God. Because he can realize he can do all these things. He can cause earthquakes and all these things. And he tries to do it with her. He tries to force her to love him. And she goes, I did once, but not anymore. And and he can't do it. He realizes that he can't make her do it. So So that's where I think there's a really interesting thing there between, you know, knowledge um and and love as as a freely given exchange of a gift. Yes. That's how love works and that's how I think faith works. Um and yeah, there's there's got to be a place for doubt within that otherwise you know it becomes 
this sort of like you know we're back to being like robots you know that just do what god says because you can't argue with them and that's not the god that i know yes um i believe it was richard raw franciscan yes and he i remember him saying in one of his brilliant books our god is the god of freedom um Mm. meaning that god allows us to love him or not love him yeah and you think why why would he do that you know yeah wow yeah if one of us was god we'd probably be like jim carrey going love me (laughs) you know we'd probably force everyone to do what we want wouldn't we but but God's God is is bigger than that, I think. You know, I mean, that's not a knockdown argument for the existence of God, right? Don't get me wrong, um, but it's a it, it's a pretty good pointer that if God does exist, that mm. explains some of why He is the way He is because He's not He's not about control. You know, a lot of people a lot of people view God as this kind of controlling, like master of puppets. You know, mm. that, that just want to control us, but. But God wants that freely reciprocal love. I think Rohr is absolutely right there, you know. Mm. Um, and and there's a but there's a tragedy to that, isn't there? That it leaves room for doubt and it leaves room for just walking away altogether, you know. Mm. Um, one of the things that I do when I experience, when I doubt whether or not God exists is I go and read my journal. So for many many years, I kept a prayer journal and I stopped mm. for quite a long time. Oh, right, and I've actually just. I've gone back to it now, um, partly because that my spiritual director, he's encouraging. Hang on, wait, 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 wait. Spiritual director? Why haven't I got one of those? <laughs> What's that? Where did you get that? Um, I just no, no. I just googled. No, no I didn't. Um, it's. <laughs> I can explain. Well, let me tell you what he said first, and I'll tell you about who he is. But the. the what he's he's been encouraging me to go back to journaling so so one of the things i do is um is i've written down over the years whenever i've had a a sense of god in prayer or something an experience i've I've tried to write it down so that when i feel like god isn't there i can go back and read the stuff Uh, when he i felt that he was there and it and it does build my faith now so i so i go back and read stuff and i was reading through it the other day and thinking I completely forgotten about that experience. I'd completely right. forgotten about that. Yeah. And stuff that has turned out to be incredibly true actually and as events have borne it out. Um so that so that has been something that's really helped me. Um so because it might be somebody's listening to this and thinking, yeah, but I'm plagued with doubts. So I don't know how to get out of the the sort of slough of despond. So um mm. so that's something that's helped me when things are going well, write it down because you might need it later. There's my top tip. That that's wonderful. Yeah, I'm going to Take that tip. It's good. It is good. Particularly if you have a really bad memory like me. But also, yeah, you, I haven't got the luxury of a spiritual director. <laughs> <laughs> I feel this sense of injustice, Rob. You're like, why haven't I got one of those? Well, I mean, I haven't got a bishop's finger, so, you know. I, <laughs> Oh well, I, I've only got I've only got an undigested mint that I had to swallow. Um, <laughs> Um, let me tell you about my spiritual director. So um, it's something I've had one for years, years and years and years, and it's something that we're encouraged to do as clergy. It's a little bit like if you people probably know about if you train to be a counselor, hmm. then you have to have, or you train to be a therapist. You usually have your own counselor or therapist or mentor, don't yeah, you? Yeah, supervisor. Yeah, a supervisor. Right. So it's a similar thing in that. Um, 
if I'm not accountable to somebody else, then you know it's people can't really be accountable to me. You know, I'm not accountable to anyone. So it's, there's partly that accountability that that he has permission to ask me tough questions, say, how's your faith? Mm. And I can, you know, go around the houses talking about loads of other things, and he will say, yeah, but how's your faith, Martin? How's your prayer life? Are you talking to God? What's, you know, what are your, what have been your experience of God? How is your image of God, your your um, picture of God changing? Um, and those type of questions mm. that, that bring you back to really what it's all about, which is that connection with God that we, we want to have. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, so I go and see him probably every six weeks. Right. Um, and we have a, a completely open-ended chat for an hour. Um, he'll ask me a few questions and he might share some little nuggets of insight, but generally I just waffle, which I'm quite good at. <laughs> well, it's good for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will shut up in a minute, let you speak, but, um, so yeah, the, the, so he, I just talk for an hour and he'll ask me questions and then, and then at the end we might agree a particular course of action. So, so for example, yeah, the example I gave about the journaling, you know, he said, I think you should look at your prayer journal again and start writing again. Uh, that was a particular, so that's the direction part, right? It's not, it's not, yeah. you know, to go back to what we were saying before, it's not coercion. He doesn't force me to do yeah. things, but he'd make strong suggestions about what might be good for me. Yeah. Um, and then I go away and do it. And then I, I see him again in six weeks and have another splurge. And uh, it's very wow. helpful, and I can confess yeah, stuff, and it's it's really good. So, so anybody can have a spiritual director. It's just that that it's it's more urgent for those of us who are in public ministry, I think, because you know for yeah, obvious reasons. Absolutely, so. cool. Well, you you'll have to give me his number. Yeah, I could, I could, I could, I could tell you who he is, but then I'd have to kill you. It's all very hush hush, secret sect and all that. <laughs> no, no, no. In the last podcast, you said that the onus is on us believers to provide evidence for God. Yeah. Yeah? Um, but I put it to you that some atheists also hold beliefs in science that should be explained. Sure. So there, there are some people that believe that science can answer all the questions of life, for instance. Yeah. Now, I, I would state that that's... A belief. And I, I used to believe that. Yeah, so it's called scientific positivism, I think. Ooh, that, that's a term. Great. We, we put that in the podcast uh, blurb. <laughs> um, so do, do you think science can answer all of life's questions? I think it can answer a particular... So the short answer is no, um, but I think it can answer a particular set of questions very well. Mm. So those type of technical questions about, you know, the the structure and the origins of the, well, maybe not the ultimate origins, but certainly the, the process of the universe coming to being, you know, um, I think particularly things like chemistry and, and biology and to some extent physics, where, the, where you're looking at the world as it is now and looking at the evidence in front of you and, and describing what's there mm. and how it might react or, or change or whatever. That is of incredible value in in millions of ways, um, but it's not much use of telling me why I love my wife, for example, right, or something like that. So mm. you know, to go back to the example I gave before, so yes, you you could say that well, you know, it's chemical reactions in your brain, it's hormones, um, it's your sex drive, and 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 you know, will to to instinct to to procreate or or whatever. Mm. You can explain it away. 
if you want to, but why the hell would anyone want to explain away love? You know, mm. um, it seems to me more more of a ludicrous thing to do than to to just you know. And and actually, most I think most scientists that you speak to who have an ounce of humility. And I'm not talking about keyboard warriors on the internet who just want to slag off religion. I mean, most, you know, scientists who who have a genuine humility before the wonder of the universe will probably emphasize what we don't know. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. And I particularly think physis- physicists do that. Um, you know, they, I mean, I'm not an expert in these things, but, they, but certainly what I've read... Um, and heard people speaking, they will often say, you know, the origins of the universe are still an absolute mystery. We have clues and we have inklings um, about how it might have come about, but and the, but but we just don't know. And and so the, I think scientists probably live with a lot of doubt, actually, and could probably teach us quite a lot about how to live with doubt, because part, partly because, well, they have to prove everything using scientific methodology, mm. which must be a real pain in the neck. When you think you know mm. the answer... And you, you've got to prove it and show you're working. It must be really frustrating. Um, so I think they, and of course, scientific worldviews and paradigms can change as well. So, you know, I again, I don't understand these things, but I am told that things like Einstein's theory of relativity changed the whole scene, hmm. right? You know, um, so you had sort of Newtonian physics and then you get Einstein and it's a big change. Um, and so that humility to believe that the things that you held to be true are actually not quite true in the way that you thought they were, um, you know, that seems to me just to be quite humble, really. And, you know, I guess the challenge for us as Christians, if incontrovertible evidence turned up that said Jesus could not have risen from the dead, would we still believe it? Or would we... Uh, you know, would we go with the evidence or would we go against the evidence? Um, and does does the kind of evidence exist that, that we could prove or disprove that? I don't know. Mm. But it's a real challenge. And I think I think what science does is it, it stops us from being lazy and, and half-baked about the things we believe. Um, what, what I always find fascinating, to use that example, um, in the scriptures, the resurrection of Jesus is never actually described. Nobody witnessed it, right? Mm. It's not described anywhere. So at the heart of of one of our most, if you like, preposterous beliefs that would be easy to doubt, mm. you know, and these are the you know, disciples of Matthew's gospel, some doubted, right? Um, we actually don't have any evidence, uh, direct evidence um, for or against it, in fact. It is something we have to take on, on faith that that specific event happened. Yeah, although having said that, Martin, have you have you heard the latest on the Turin Shroud? Well, no. Tell me, Rob, what's the latest? Oh man, I was I thought, oh, it's a medieval fake. It's it's a load of rubbish. And then I I saw, I think it was a BBC documentary or something mm. about it. It was mind blowing. <laughs> Basically, that they did some carbon dating in the eighties um, that said it was. Uh, medieval fake created mm. somehow they couldn't they couldn't tell how because it's not painted that's that's the interesting thing there's no paint on it or anything um but what they n- now discovered is the sample that they took for that carbon dating was right on one of the corners of the shroud um and yeah, over yeah. the hundreds of years it was handled by people 
possibly thousands of years, um, the corners got torn because uh, uh, they would hold it up to the public to show people. Um, okay. So the the corners were replaced, and you can tell by the weave that the corners are different to the main part of the shroud. Uh, and also scientists have, they said that the only way they, that the image could have been produced of this um, body on the cloth was, um, I can't remember it now off the top of my head, I'll have to look, but it was some massive burst of radiation in a billionth of a second. And <laughs> Fascinating. That, that's the only way they think, because it was kind of scorched on somehow. It, but just yeah. the very top layer of the cloth. It, it just blew my mind. I'll have to watch that, Rob. Yes. What, what's really interesting is that, you know, and this is a great illustration of all this stuff, that the, I probably saw the same program you saw years ago, which which claimed it was a medieval fake, right? So so I've sort of, you know, thought, okay, fair enough. You know, it would have been nice if it was true, but, you know, whatever. Mm. There are, there are others, there's other stuff from around mm, the time mm. of Jesus, and that's okay. Um, but it just shows you, doesn't it, that, that you know, evidence isn't, isn't a single fixed category. Evidence has to be interpreted. And, you know, and nobody interprets evidence from, from a blank um, canvas. There's no view from nowhere, as we say, right? So if you set out to prove that the Turin Shroud is a fake, that's probably what you'll find. And if you set out to prove it's true, that's probably what you'll find. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I, I'm not saying that there's no such thing as objective truth. I'm not saying that, which I, because I think we live in an age of conspiracy theories where, I, I mean, I've, I've, I've been quite scared actually by the the stuff that people do believe um, or, or don't believe. Um, mm. So I think we need to have some kind of balance with 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 having it's it's a bit like having your feet on the ground and your head in the in the clouds. I think a little bit. So we we need we need to trust that mm. truth is possible, and we need to trust that evidence is. Uh, um, we need to trust that evidence is there and that it needs to be interpreted and and you know what's it peer reviewed and all that stuff that helps us to be to be confident about things mm, mm. but we also need to have that humility that says maybe things are not quite what they seem you know i think that's a pretty good mix to have going back to science and what i used to think uh that science science can answer all the questions so this religion stuff is nonsense you know after i read the god delusion and Sam Harris and all the new atheists. Yeah. Um, but then I realized they're actually two different things, aren't they? That um, so science and religion, and they're just two different ways of looking at the world. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the classic thing is that science asks the how questions and religion asks the why questions, mm. which is quite a nice way of putting it. But religion can also answer the how questions in how to live or. Um, how to yeah. use a certain piece of technology that science has produced, for instance. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Ethical questions mm. and things. Yeah, just because we can do something, should we do it? You know, yeah, there's loads of stuff like, uh, you know, with AI and things at the moment, isn't there? And, oh, yes. You know, <laughs> the world being run by bots and stuff, you know. And, and um, yeah, I mean, we, we, we do need both, both sides. Um, but to come back to doubt for a minute, 
I mean, I don't know. It's a really interesting one. I, I think that my faith is, yes, there, there's scientific evidence that can bolster it and feed into it, but, but ultimately I come back to the question of, you know, I was blind and now I see, mm. right? Mm. So, you know, that's... And and that's what's happening when the in that story where the blind um, beggar um, Jesus heals him, and then the Pharisees uh, question him and they say, you know, all this stuff, and they they want to try and and they want to try and um, discredit his mm. testimony to have being healed, and he and he says, I don't know the answer to any of your questions. All I know is I was blind and now mm. I see, mm. right? And of course, that's where we get the the line from yes, Amazing yeah. Grace, right? Um, and and I I keep coming back to that 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 I don't I mean I don't know all the answers to these questions I, I'm not you know I've studied the Bible to quite a high level but I, I still don't know all the answers um I'm not in any way shape or form a scientist um but I know that I was blind and now I see now if you can come up with a better explanation than Jesus for what happened to me that turned my life around then I'd like to hear it but I haven't heard yeah. it yet and so I, I go with as as amazing and as incredible as it might be, and as filled with doubts as I am, I am forced to conclude that what happened to me was that Jesus saved mm. me. That's still the best explanation that I can mm. come up with. Um, you know, but I'm always interested to hear what other people think. <laughs> so, <laughs> to a point, and yeah. I, you know, and another way, I don't care. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, no, seriously. It's it's different different kinds of evidence, different kinds of knowing. Um, you know, I think these are really important questions when we come to to wrestling with doubt. Yeah. So, I I wonder if the enemy to both religion and science is certainty. I mean, to an extent, we all love certainty. It's nice and comfortable, but we do need to leave room for doubt in order to be open to the truth do you think yeah yeah and it's it's interesting because sometimes people will argue that that the opposite of faith is doubt but i don't think it is ah. um somebody somebody said to me the opposite of faith is fear and i think that was a really profound thing to say because because faith and doubt go hand in hand as is, i think i've been trying we've been both trying to explain that yeah so it it, it's like two sides of the same same coin exactly um whereas the the opposite of faith is fear so fear that you know we're not in control of our lives fear that um there's no meaning um fear that somebody else is going to um attack you or or whatever um so so certainty is actually how people combat fear Right. Mm. So if you think of, mm. I mean, the, you know that thing that you always, you know, there's there's a saying that if you if you uh, if you mention the Nazis, you automatically lose the argument. But <laughs> oh dear, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, but I think you know if you look at what happened in in uh, under under fascism, under Nazism, yeah. Um, people were desperate, and so they wanted someone who could give them certainty. Along comes Hitler, who gives them absolute crystal clarity and certainty about who they are, mm. what they're for, mm. and what they should do to achieve it. Mm. And the the results are absolutely horrendous. Mm. So certainty, you know, 
I think we've got to be very careful in claiming certainty about anything. Mm. Um, I think all we can ever do is is say that, well, to the best of our knowledge at this point in history, you know, we can move forward on the basis of what we sort of believe to be the case. <laughs> yes. You know? Yeah. I was wondering if we could um, make our podcast a bit more highbrow by quoting Shakespeare. <laughs> oh, do, do. There are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. Amen to that. And uh, to finish off with our mate, Jesus, we cannot live by bread alone. Yeah, very true. So you need the science, the material, which is the bread, but also you need the spiritual or religious experience too to be fully human. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent, and and anything less than that is actually dehumanizing. Hmm. So to deny the material is dehumanizing, and to deny the spirit is also dehumanizing. Hmm. Um, and for goodness' sake, if we're going to be anything in all this, let's be more humane. Here, here, what a lovely note to finish on, Martin. Thank you so much for your time. It's been um, a really fascinating talk, um, and I hope listeners now um have some idea of faith and doubt and yeah it's a, it's an ongoing journey it is and it's something it's something that we live with and we learn to live with and at times it can be very painful but you know it's conversations like this and the encouragement of one another i mean if there's one one more thing i could add then it's that you're not alone in any of this mm. if you're a doubting person you're, you're experiencing crippling doubts you're not alone. Others feel that too, mm. and they're still on the journey with you. So um, somebody once said to me that the Christian faith was never meant to be lived alone. Okay, so absolutely, it, yeah. You know, we're we're there. We're we're here to encourage one another. And you will maybe going through seasons in your life when you you're feeling particularly crippled with doubts, and and that's okay because there may well be someone who who's who's feeling a bit stronger that can carry you for a little while. And you may well be the person that carries somebody else, mm. you know. So, mm. so that's how it's supposed to work. I think, you know, we're, you're not alone. Um, doubt isn't the end; it's uh, it's part of the journey. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Martin. Thank you, Rob. Always a pleasure. See you next time. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to God Botherers. If you would like to get in touch or suggest any topics for discussion, please contact us at godbotherspodcast at gmail.com. Join us next time when we'll discuss what we mean by God. And don't miss future episodes by subscribing to our podcast. Many thanks. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.